you open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5? 1 John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 this morning. And John has, has been, uh, he's been very active, right? Throughout this letter, he's been challenging us, he's been growing us, he's been encouraging us to know that we can have eternal life. It's been a strong theme throughout his letter. And if you think of the early church and the things that are happening in the context of confusion with the Gnostics and those that are floating around saying we've got the better version, right? We've got the real Jesus. Maybe that you know, sounds familiar, things we might hear in our own day, uh, things that are happening in our society. We have all these, these options, it seems like, per, per, uh, presented to us. Uh, but he comes right through all the, uh, the, the confusion and he lays it out succinctly for us, right? This is Christ. Last week we looked at this, this wonderful verse, which has kind of been this theme throughout uh, the letter of, of 1 John, where he talks about, this is in chapter 5, verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe, right? All of this that I have written that you would believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may know. And there's our word that we've seen over and over again, that we would have confidence and knowledge and understanding that you know. You have eternal life, right? And that you would continue to believe. These things would be pressing upon you. You operate in wonderful confidence. And he's going to pick up that word in the text we're going to look at today. But he kind of takes this idea of certainty and what is happening. And he, he kind of wants us to have that mindset and have this resolve and this confidence. And he says, let's take that and let's approach it through prayer. And I've titled this message this morning, The Specifics of Prayer. And I noticed in my outline I didn't capitalize specifics, so if that throws you off, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? But it's very, you know, for John, he's going to come, and even though he opens generally, and we'll read the passage here in a moment, he opens generally about all things we should pray for, but I think it's very important that we understand the specifics, because he does get into this passage about how we pray, right? And, and the idea of, of praying specifically in a certain direction. And I think, you know, I don't know about you, but we like that, that, that the... We like the idea of prayer and having a lifestyle or a devotion of prayer. And maybe we just kind of want to cover the bases at times. So we just say, Lord, you know, for all the things in the world, you know, just do your thing. Amen. Right. And we're kind of done. I feel like feel good. I've covered all of it and in a broad stroke. And I don't think that's what, what we need to be about in Scripture. We want to be very specific in our requests. What ways do we desire to God to see God move? Because that's also good for us, because when God moves, we're quick to acknowledge that it grows our faith. So I've entitled this message, The Specifics of Prayer, and I came across this quote, which I think is, is, uh, is very good. It's, it's uh, talking about being specific. There was a doctor of Cornell at Cornell University who observed that from the moment people decided to concentrate all their energies on a specific object, they began to surmount the most difficult odds. He concluded, the establishment of a goal is the key to successful living. I think for all of us to say, yeah, that's, that's good. We've made, this is kind of like a statement we might, we might hear at the beginning of the year. We're talking about our resolutions and our goals. The idea of being very specific. And I want to take that idea. You know, We do that in our, in our planning, but, but do we do that in our prayer life? If we have this wonderful confidence that God has secured something wonderful for me, that I can, can come in here on a, on a Sunday morning and sing these songs and lift my voice and say, that is my Savior. You know, His kindness, as we just sung, we just sung about, has been, it's been given to me, and that kindness has led me to an attitude of repentance. 
just as, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, I mean, that's taken from Romans 2, and you, you come, you say, this is it, I know his kindness, I know this, and, and we, want to, we want to have that if we come, but, but do we often take that, that specific, that knowledge that John is talking about, and do we uh, apply it to our prayer life? Do we pray specifically? So I think John's going to give us some insight on these things, and so here is the passage, that's First John chapter 5, and this is verse, uh, verses 14 through 17, and he says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. In verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, thank you once again for this time you've given to us. And I I pray that you would allow us to understand in a more profound and deep way the truths of your word, that the truth of this passage would would find a home in us and guiding us in our our prayer life, and it would bring us to conviction in our prayer life, and um, that we would see, Lord, you're moving and be encouraged, and also be uh, a person, a, a child of, of yours that is desiring to see others follow you. I pray that you'd allow me to get out of the way as we work through this text, and may all attention and focus be placed upon you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, we've, we've, kinda, we've come to this, this moment, and John is he's clearly he's wrapping up his letter, and he's concluding it, and he and he's told us that you know, this whole thing stems and it builds towards this confidence. And he's told us how we can have this confidence. Right? He said, as these things are growing, is there a genuineness that you have a love right, for God's church? Do you have that growing in you? Right? And that's very important, right? Because some of us were like, I don't know. And I don't know about some of these, Pastor, right? this person next to me. We're growing in love. We don't get to choose who's a part of the family of God, but we have a responsibility to grow in our love for who's in part of the family of God. Right, because God, John tells us God is not seen. Who has seen God? No one has seen Him. But how is God manifested amongst His people? John tells us that He's since God is love, it's manifested this way. So we should have a growing desire not only for our love and worship, or for God and for what He has done in Christ, but for our brothers and sisters in the family of God. He's also talked about this desire for truth. I think that just that statement alone, right? We should desire and hunger for truth, especially the truth of His Word, because that is truth. In a society that is, that is in moral decay and questioning the very existence of truth and making it all relative, how you feel today, well, that's true for you and it's not true for me. This whole confusion, right? You see it happening in John's letter and he's addressing it and you say, man, that's so profound for us today. In the middle of all the things that are happening in this life, I can know here is God's truth and I hunger His truth. I hunger His commands. I see in them peace and grace and mercy. We should see these things developing in us, and we should be growing in our sanctification. Right? John's saying there's a growth in purity. Right? This idea of working out our salvation with fear and trouble. Is it happening in you? Is it for the right reasons? 
right? And if those things are, are affirmative, we're saying yes, and he was saying, man, you have eternal life. You have it in the Son of God. With all the authority and attached to, to who Christ is, you have it in full, not in part, but in full. It says, because of this, we go into this idea of prayer. And he's touched on prayer before, hasn't he? He's talked about the idea of sin. We see this throughout the letter. It says in the idea of confessing our sins, right? In chapter 1, verse 9, which is done in prayer. If anyone has sinned, let him come and confess. He talks in, in uh, the beginning of chapter 2, who is the advocate that helps us through all this? Who is the one who is with the propitiation of God who helps us through all these things? Well, it is Christ. And he goes on to chapter 3 and the reasons why we receive what we receive is because we're obedient. If we have fellowship and we abide in Him, well, we know God answers our prayers. And He's hit on this theme before. And so He kind of moves into this passage. He kind of expands it a little bit. And He kind of almost wants to kind of conclude His letter and saying, here, here is the, the, the work of a Christian follower. There is prayer. All right? That's going to be one of our, our signature things. We should be praying. John, it doesn't assume, when I say this up front, it doesn't assume you're praying, right? It's not that, that if you pray or the occasion feels like it, right? It is, none of that is there. It's just under the assumption of when, just like Jesus, right? Not if you pray, here's how you do it. When you pray, here's how you do it in the Sermon on the Mount. So we come to this idea of a specific, and this is very similar to last week, the first point here, but in verse 14, I'm, I'm talking about this idea of specific prayer. There's a specific promise attached to this prayer. Right? John comes to verse 14 and says, Now this is the confidence. Right? That's so good. We, we don't pray in uncertainty. We know we have salvation in certainty. We also pray in certainty. He says, This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, right? Keep that in there. He hears us. This is the wonderful promise and privilege that belongs to all those who know Christ Jesus. Think for a moment the privilege and honor of prayer, right? We have the honor of, of closing our eyes and bowing our heads and coming in the name of Christ, coming into His throne room of grace with confidence and reverence. This is a wonderful promise, right? It's a specific promise. It's not just for anyone on this planet. No, it's for those who know Christ as their Savior. It's specific to them. If we have this confidence in context, he's talking about those who have eternal life, the certainty of eternal life. If you come to this, you have confidence to approach the throne room of God. Is that because of us? Well, clearly not. It's because of Christ. And because of this, this certainty, right? Christ emboldens us. We come with this confidence to come to God and regardless of the circumstances. There's something you're going through this morning, something you're working through this morning. We can come. If it's according to God's will, we can trust and know that He hears us with profound confidence. That's a wonderful promise. There should be a moment we say, let's just circle that and highlight that in Scripture, right? That I know when I pray, whatever I'm going through in, any, in all circumstances, God hears me. That's a wonderful truth. These things should be changing the way we look at our Monday mornings, right? Some of you have really good Monday mornings. Usually that's, you know, different. Monday's difficult. You don't want to go back to work and we want to be having an attitude of prayer, but it seems like you guys like Mondays, so... That's good. But it changes us, right? What does prayer do? And we'll kind of get into this idea. When, and as John unfolds it for us here in a moment, he talks about praying according to God's will. Sometimes we have this idea that if, if I come in confidence and I come in the name of, of Christ and He saved me, well, then I can pray and I can, I can kind of wield or navigate God's will to, to move in a certain way or to expand these kind of things. And that's not really the heart of it. 
right? So the first thing we all want to understand is we can come with, with complete confidence before the throne of, of God, and we can ask anything. So here we see this, this general sense of prayer, right? Whatever circumstance you might be going through today, this morning, this week, or, or what's ahead of you tomorrow morning, we can bring that with confidence before God. That's good, right? And we can trust and we can know that He hears us, but He qualifies that, doesn't He? It's not that He's saying, well, you know what? I, what I really like is I would like this and I like that. I prayed in His name, and, but, but John goes on and says, ah, if it's, it's according to His will, here's the qualification, right? So all our circumstances we can bring before Him. We know that, that God receives us, that God hears us, but here's the qualification. It has to be according to His will, not according to mine. There are many examples throughout Scripture where we, we know that that as the Bible teaches us about the Bible and how to pray. I mean, Jesus coming and teaching his disciples how to do it. When, when Paul is leaning upon the Holy Spirit, because I don't know as I pray as I should, and, and the struggle with prayer, right? And Jesus on the parable, and, 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 and I'll cite these verses a little later, and he struggles with these ideas saying, like, you, we don't pray as we should, right? The, the, the mere action of prayer is a struggle, let alone how we go about it. But here we want to make sure that we come, and it's not according to our own wishes, because if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times our wishes in prayer are probably not in line, right? Maybe they might even have a sinful tendency attached to them. We don't come with that attitude. We come before with wonderful confidence to, to trust and to submit to the all-wise, infinite, holy God who knows what is best. And all the verses in Scripture that talk about uh, prayer and, and the confidence of prayer have this kind of attached to it. John in 3, uh, 1 John 3.21, right? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. John has told us that, but he goes on. Here's the qualification, verse 22. Because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. So over and over, this is qualified. Jesus' example, hopefully that comes to your mind of how He prayed in the garden, right? Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if it be Your will, take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. So what do we understand here? If this wonderful promise is for us, it's a very specific promise, not only in the sense that it's for believers, but it's also directed to God's will. The most important thing, the primary thing that we learn is, is in prayer, we're not trying to change God's mind. We're not trying to include this. I know you're going to move here, God. If you just change your mind or you will here or add this into it, that would be great. That's not our goal in prayer. Prayer must not be our attempt to get God to see things from our point of view, but is our attempt to see things from God's point of view. John says, in this wonderful privilege, think about it for a moment, this, this wonderful God who loves you so much, who sends His Son to come into this broken world, that He would go to the cross. And, and it's clearly in line with John's thinking of all these things that are developing and all the things that you see in your life and all the wonderful graces and mercies that we receive and this desire to know Him, to realize what we have, not in part but in whole, all of Christ. That should lead us as our growth and our sanctification, our growth and our purity should lead us to the right attitude of prayer. Lord, it's not, it's not what I want here. Lord, I desire to see lives come in the kingdom. Let it be a will according to your will. I have this wonderful promise. And John, again, we go back to all the circumstances, the things that are happening in our life. 
Lord, take this from me. If you won't take it from me, help me to learn from what is happening here. Challenge me, change me. Or in the middle of this storm, if you're not going to take this storm away, I pray that you would give me the grace and mercy to, to walk through this, that you would refine me and shape me. It's not our timing. It's not our desire. God uh, hears and he promises to move. It's not always the way in which we may want it. So we have to understand this very specific promise. Promise that he will, he will hear, he will move, he will operate according to his will. So John says, here it is. And he goes on to verse 15, and he kind of picks up on this theme of hearing, right? And so I just said, it's a very, hey, we have a specific advantage in prayer as believers. He hears us, and he goes on in verse 15 and says, and if we know that he hears us, there's our, our Greek word, gnosko. We've seen it many times throughout this letter. And if you know this, if you know that he hears us, if you have confidence that he hears you, you're praying according to his will, you understand the promise. If you have this confidence and you know this, Whatever we ask, right? They're all inclusive. Whatever that circumstance may be, we're praying according to his will. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. We know this. We see the word again. We know this. God desires to move on behalf of his people. So here's the wonderful advantage, right, to this wonderful promise. We see in our prayer life and praying for things, we see God's deliverances. Hopefully we're seeing those things. We enjoy His mercy. God, guide me through this. We enjoy and, and benefit from His blessings, which we desperately need. Because John says, look, this awesome, wonderful God, it's not enough for Him to save you. He, he desires to be active in all the circumstances of your life. And He goes on and says, guess what? This wonderful God who's, who knows everything, He's sovereign, He's creative, of it, He hears you. Now, we want to take a moment and just think about that. Think about the fact that this sovereign God hears you. You know, if you do a Google search on, on how to be a better listener, has everyone ever searched that out? Because you listen so good, right? <laughs> what? Right, yeah. But if you look at it, and there's many, and we can make a long list here, but you just look at it, and they'll tell you, okay, if you want to be a good listener, if you want to be a good person who really hears someone, you have to remove distractions. Yeah, that makes sense. I can, I can, I can accept that. You've got to stay focused. Have you ever talked to somebody where you're talking to them and then pretty soon they're like, what? There's something shiny over here. It's just got my attention, right? You've got to stay focused upon the person who's communicating. You have to be unselfconscious. So when someone's communicating, I'm not thinking about, what am I eating later? I'm kind of hungry. You don't think about that. You think about what is being said. You go on and be compassionate. I genuinely concerned with what you're saying. Right? And the list can go on. Now, now think about that for a moment. Here's the God of the universe. And John is saying, when you pray with this wonderful confidence, this wonderful promise according to his will, this God who is sovereign and merciful, you have his undivided attention. I don't know about you, that's giving me chills. I can think about that. I mean, who am I? Yet he operates this way. And we may, we may think through your mind, well, he's, he's sovereign, Tyson. He knows everything. You don't have to pray. That's kind of not what John is saying. We know he's sovereign. We know that from Scripture. We know that he knows all things, absolutely. But John is communicating in a way that when you pray, when you come in his name, all your struggles, all your concerns, they become very important to this God who listens to you. 
Do, not, do we not learn something about this wonderful, merciful God? Set aside the distractions. Set this with compassion. You know, I can always, I think of often, and I was as a kid, and I would think about praying, and sometimes to help me pray, I would think about Christ just sitting across the room from me, or if I was kneeling, he'd be, you know, we would be eye contact and help me kind of stay focused in my prayers. And I was thinking about that this morning, how I used to do that, and, and still often think about the presence of God, be careful of my words, and you know, what is happening? What, what are we actually doing in this moment? And I thought, how, you know, how different our prayers would be if, if we have this eye contact moment with Jesus. You know, would we, would we cower? Because John has brought this up to us, right? He's talked about in the day when Christ comes back. We want to be those believers who, who don't want to make eye contact with the Savior. We don't want to be those. Oh, man, here's Jesus again. You know, I just, I, let's look down here. Hopefully they won't look at me. He says, no, you don't want to be those kind of believers when he comes. Maybe we want to embrace him. Right? And we shouldn't wait for that day. We should be doing this every day, embracing the Savior. But think about your prayer life. How would it change if He was, if he was in the room with you? Not that it would, it would change the, you know, the request or anything like of that nature, but, but how things would become more important. He's broken for those who are lost. John's going to carry us into that. Right? And our desire to see others come to know Him. Those probably, those kind of prayers most likely would float to the top of your list. Because you see the mission, you see the purpose. You see how you have eternal life and how you have it in complete certainty and how you would desire to have, see others have that too. Right? And we see this in Scripture and how Jesus has set us on mission. Maybe the Great Commission would become very important to us at this moment. Lord, put me on mission. I want to go forward. I want to be your trumpeter. I want to go proclaim you. I want to be a light that shines. And think about examples in Scripture where Jesus took you know, a handful of people, his disciples, some blue-collared workers, changed the world. Right? It, it would affect us, would it not? And yet this God hears in such a wonderful, listening attentively right, to your requests. Maybe he's patient and desiring that we might learn and come to this idea of, of praying according. Maybe in this process, we're like David and we're kind of venting to God. And how long, O oh Lord, will we, must we endure these things? Throughout the Psalms, we see that. But, but through the prayer, we come back to this idea that I'll remember He has dealt bountifully with me. What a wonderful God you are that you would take time and listen to me. And you don't see the importance in the context of this little band of, of believers working through all the confusions and the church is just beginning here and, and they're not sure and they're working. He's encouraging them, saying, you know what, you've overcome the evil one because you're, you're sticking to the truth and all this encouragement he's been pouring into them and how important this moment would be, right, for them to see, going, that's right. This God who created this whole world, because if I watch the news, I'm saying it's pointless, we should just call it a day and forget, it's just a mess. But that's right, there's this God who's in control of all this. And he hears me. I love the fact that, that God, you know, He moves in His way. We may not, he may not move immediately, right? Sometimes we pray for that. Lord, you've got to move now or, or something, you know, I'm going to break here. We may feel that, right? But He has his, his timing. He does it on His terms. It's in accordance with His will. 
This is how God moves. And it's important for us to understand that as we pray and as we're praying according to this wonderful promise, as we pray and, and trust that He hears us, and as we, as we pray that, Lord, Your will be done here, it may not come the way we expect it. It's a story of a man who was shipwrecked on a desert island and there's no one else there and he was the only survivor of the, of the wreck and he had his clothes on his body is about it and he started to take some of the stuff and building huts over time and anytime he saw a ship that would come by he had, he had a white handkerchief and he would wave it best that he could He'd run around do a dance out there just waving to the ships way off there and the ship would never stop and every time he saw a ship he would race down to the beach and wave his white handkerchief Best he could, man, willing it around. Over time, this wasn't working. He had since built his hut and other things, other condiments that he could do on the island. And he was one day at lunch, he was cooking his lunch over the fire. He sees a ship far off, grabs his white hanky, runs down to the beach. This is going to be it. I know it. I know it. I know it. Waving is all he could. The ship doesn't stop. Depressed and bummed, he begins walking back to his hut where he realizes the fire is an ember has caught his whole hut on fire. A complete devastation. He's like, man, this is this, it doesn't get worse than this. I'm on an island. My whole thing I've worked for, now it's all burning to the ground. Wave my hanky. No ship stops. Right? Lord, where are you? To his amazement, of course, you know where this is going. Ship comes back. And he asked them once he gets on board, is it, did you see my hanky? Nope. We saw the smoke. And the very thing he wasn't willing to burn. So when we pray, when we pray according to God's promises, it may not come the way you expect it. But we have this wonderful confidence that God knows what is best. And we have this wonderful, specific advantage. Only believers have this. In the name of Christ, according to your will, I come. And this wonderful, compassionate God listens. That should change our prayer life. So with this in mind, John said, look, here's, here's the wonderful benefits. Here's the, the generalness of prayer and all our circumstances. We can come to the Lord in prayer. And then he, he goes on to verses 16 and 17 and and this is where it gets a little bit difficult to really understand. These are difficult verses here, but I, I've called it a specific direction in our prayer life. He says in verse 16, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, right? He will pray. And God will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray about that. And just so we're all on the same page, he defines sin for us once again, which he's done before. But he says, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now, the disadvantage we have with these verses is it's apparent that John's readers understood what he meant by this. But it's up for us. They understood what he meant by this sin. He doesn't, he doesn't qualify. He doesn't explain himself. And so there's some different interpretations about it but i think for the first thing we have to understand as we go back to the beginning of this verse 16 
Uh, as John is moving away from the idea of general sense, of general prayer, of all circumstances, whatever you're experiencing, and he kind of he moves from that and he kind of goes into this intercessory prayer, right? A direction of our prayer. We're going we're to take this and apply it to, to something that is, is eternal in the sense of, of, of people, right? In that sense. And he says, if, if anyone, right? Here we do have the inclusion. He says, if anyone sees a brother, if any of us see a brother in Christ, right? A professed believer, it's our responsibility and a complete genuineness to pray for them. Now, there's, there's some things that are assumed here, right? That we know this brother or sister well enough to know that there's something happening. They're struggling in a sin. There is a relationship, right? And you can understand this in the, in the, in the text of what is happening in this church. They've, they're a band, right? A band of believers. They've come together. They know each other. Right? We stress the importance of getting to know other people in the body of Christ. Life groups are a very good way in which you can do that, get to know others. So we can know and we can bring accountability and we can receive accountability. He says, if anyone sees a brother sinning a sin, right? Sure, exactly what he's saying there, right? Sinning a sin, I think it's actually really well translated for us in the action of, it's in the present tense. Right? And so we have to kind of qualify some of these things. John has talked about in chapter 2, verse 1, where he talks about the believer may commit acts of sin. Right? Where John says, if anyone has sinned, we have what? We have an advocate. We have Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins. So he talks about the acts of sin. We, we do see that. We don't want to deceive ourselves and say there's no sin, in which case we would say God is lying. Of course, we are sinners saved by grace. Right? Sinners and saints. He says in, in, in verse 1, Chapter 6 and 7, then verse, or chapter 3, verse 4 and 10, a believer will not continue in a lifestyle of habitual sin. Right? And then we come to this idea where he says there is this sinning, a sin, a literal, it's in the present tense. He's talking about somebody who's caught the idea, and it's implied in the verb tense that there is a certain habitual practice that is happening. So we want to be careful with this, Right? Because we know that we, we're quick to, to maybe look at ourselves and assess ourselves and go, I don't know, I, man, we can come up with a lot of question marks. Thinking about certain sins in certain areas, and I don't think John is, is, is tacking on to those things. I think he's driving with the idea of habitual sin. If you see a brother who is, is stuck, they're in this, right? And of course, we want to pray for other things. He includes all those other things, but he's stressing the idea that if we see someone, we know someone who is stuck in a habitual sin, we need to, we need to help that brother or sister I think we're all painfully aware of, of the patterns and the struggles we have in this life. And we might realize that, that our struggles are different from other sins and other, what other Christians might struggle with. But our cry, our pursuit in life, right? our, our push for purity is to pursue a life of one that it hates sin. Right? We have a hatred of sin. And we also grow in a resolution to battle against it. Right? That is our resolve in this. We want to make sure that when we are praying, that we are growing in our purity. The Bible teaches us to do that. Paul has told us to go and work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, to grow in our sanctification. So there's areas in our life that we're struggling with. We are to come and pray. And so my first, I think I put this in your outline, we should be praying for others as well as ourselves. And John is going to hit on that. He's talking about these different kind of sins. And we must first explain kind of this idea of habitual sin. So we need to be praying for ourselves and praying for others always. We should be praying that our minds would be enlightened, right? We should pray that we understand the completeness of salvation. We should pray that those who, have, who are caught in this would have an attitude of repentance. We should be sincere. We should desire God to move, show His grace. 
And the second one here, I said, we should pray. And he's going to go once again. He's going to have this qualification, right? We should pray with discernment. There is a distinction in the wickedness and guilt of sin. First John says, there is a sin not leading to death. Right? This is, I would imagine, the sin that is not a lifestyle or a habitual sin that makes a believer question their faith. So it's not a habitual thing. I do struggle with this. So this happens occasionally, but it's not an habitual thing that says, you know, I'm stuck and God hasn't delivered me. Because John goes on and says, God, let's pray for that, brother. Let's pray for that, sister. He will give him, right? Uh, he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. We're talking about spiritual death. God will, God will renew. God will move. The promise of answered prayer is illustrated here. Right? As we pray and we stand upon according to God's will that he would, this person have deliverance, we see it in action. God will hear this. He will grant victory. However, we also need to discern the second, which John says, and this is where there's many different interpretations. He says there is a sin leading to death. Now we must qualify that we realize that all, uh, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is a sentence that all sin leads to a physical death. And John isn't stressing that here. So we come to this difficult, this different, well, it's, it's really a difficult question of what does he mean unto death? What is this sin? And there's been some different views. Terrence, who was a, um, or excuse me, Terrell, I'm going to say his word wrong. Tertullian, thank you for helping me on that. The church father. I was thinking of Francis Terrence, who was a theologian. Uh, he taught that some sins such as murder, idolatry, fraud, denial of Christ, blasphemy, adultery, and fornication could not be committed by true Christians and that God would not forgive these sins. We see it also in that there is the, the Roman Catholic doctrine which divides sins into venial sins and mortal sins, but there's not a scriptural proof for this. And the struggle with this understanding is that, that if we take that understanding of the of Tertullian, we would have to say that, that David and Solomon and Peter and Paul didn't make it to heaven. Some believe that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus has said in Matthew 12, 31-32, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the, the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. It is the Spirit that brings us to Christ. Jesus is absolutely true. But this isn't what John is talking about in this passage. Because he has referred to this person as a brother. right? Someone who knows Christ. In this passage, when we take that, it has to mean that that, uh, that brother means unbeliever. right? So we have to struggle through that. And even though that's true to Scripture, that's not what John is stressing here in this passage. And we have to conclude that God has saved some pretty hardened unbelievers. Right? Paul, think of him. 1 Timothy 1.13 Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And I think what John is getting at is, this, is what refers to an apostasy from the faith. And I stress these not to camp out on them and, and just to kind of 
enjoy the, the different interpretations, but there are things floating around, and maybe you've heard some of these, but I believe John's heart is what he refers to those who have professed faith and have walked away. Because he's going to say some very difficult things for us to understand. The Bible does describe those who make a profession of faith. They look like believers for a while, and then they turn. They walk away. And we have to wonder, or do we question, or do they not know? Peter has said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And when we look at the context of John, he's talked about those who, were, who left us because they were never part of us. In chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. So here we are, we're, we're set this in the context, we we have this understanding that most likely applies. I know there's, there's different takes on all these things, but we're kind of coming to this place where if this is it, if there are those who have come to the faith who profess this and say, you know what, they, they stepped in apostasy. It's not just that they walked out or they're, they're having questions or they're struggling. No, we're talking about those who said, you know what, it's, it's nothing. That's actually wrong. It's incorrect. It's false. John has some harsh things here. He says, I do not say that we should pray about that. Does this person have an unrepentant attitude? John says that we should not pray about that. And just so we're all understanding, you see why now John adds the idea of, of defining sin for us at the end of this. Because our minds could go all over the place and think of this or this level or this extent, right? We can assess this and go this. And he says, no, whoever, uh, excuse me, on the last verse, he says in 17, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. All unrighteousness is sin. Sin is disobedience or not conforming to God's law in any way. He's defined it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So he comes back and says, this, this is what we're talking about. Someone who has completely turned their backs. I'll walk away from this. And it's quite, quite amazing that, that John would say these things. This I would say don't pray about. And it's difficult for us because our desire is to what? Extend mercy because so much has been given to us. And this is why it comes back according to God's will. We know through, through Scripture and we, we know that, that not all will be saved. Does that mean we not pray? No, we should pray. We are not the judge. And this is where the, the discernment is so important. And believing in hope and trusting that God will extend the grace and open the eyes. And it will bring back to repentance. So the applications of this verse this morning, here are some things that I believe that should be happening in our lives in regards to prayer. The first one is prayer is a characteristic of all followers of Jesus Christ. 
It's not if you pray, when you pray. It is as soon. So it comes in the context of the difficulties of life. You would have a characteristic of prayer. If you do not have a prayer life today, today begins your prayer life. You're going to start praying. You're missing out on the wonderful promise of prayer, the wonderful advantage of prayer. And other followers of Christ are missing out because you're not praying in the right direction for them. Second thing is that prayer is to be done with confidence and according to God's will. It's not pray and try to manipulate God and to, to, to wield Him in some way that He'll do something or in some different situation, whatever it might be. We come, and part of this is the learning for us, the growing in maturity, trusting God's will. Third, I believe prayer should be consistent with the wisdom and glory of God. My motivation is that he would be glorified. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed, Lord, do this work so that you would be glorified. They would believe. There is our motive. God would receive all the glory. Prayer is a complete trust. The next one in God's sovereignty. However he decides to move, he will move. His timing, his purpose. And then prayer for non-believers. We don't pray that their sins would be forgiven. We pray that they would come to an attitude of repentance and confession. And then the last one here is prayer is to be withheld for cases of total apostasy. And this is where I want to stress as your pastor immense discernment. I love the words of John Calvin and his commentary on this passage, and I'd like to read it to you, and I think there's wonderful insight for us. He says, It is then right to determine sometimes whether the fallen is without hope or whether there is still a place for a remedy. This, indeed, is what I allow. And what is evident beyond dispute from, the, from this passage, but as this very seldom happens, and as God sets before us the infinite riches of His grace and bids us to be merciful according to His own example, we ought not rashly to conclude that anyone has brought on himself the judgment of eternal death. On the contrary, love should dispose us to hope well. But if the impiety of some appear to us not otherwise than hopeless, as though the Lord pointed it out by the finger. And I think these last words are very important. We ought not to contend with the just judgment of God or seek to be more merciful than He is. And I'd shared before when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma and I was helping a man and do some work and we had this conversation in the back of his uh, he's there at the workplace he was at and he went on to tell me pastor I am I am I am reprobate and he used, he used that word and my conclusion to that moment was not to say well I'm sorry I guess I'll stop praying for you all right good luck with that My response to him was, we need to come back to the, to the foot of cross and you need to realize that in this moment, right here, right now, 
I am God's messenger who is reminding you of the grace and the mercy that He has extended to you. We don't ever want to be in a position where we sit in a seat of judgment and point the finger that it's not for us. Ever. If you have a tendency to look down the pointing of your nose at others, you need to repent of that sin and that legalism. But in grace and mercy we come, and John is clearly talking about those who have cursed the church and laughed. Total apostasy. He's saying, be discerning here. God has given them over. And that's hard for us because we desire mercy. We have tasted what, what this mercy is and this grace. And it's our desire to see it extended. We must be discerning. And we must not go outside of the, of the will of God, the bounds of God, and extend something that the Lord Himself is not extending. So it becomes a challenge to us. And I think there's some very sober things in this passage for us. We know that God is merciful. We know that He is in control. We know that we don't always pray as we should. There is a dependency upon the Spirit. I think of the moments of the conversations that those you interact with, or those are divine moments where God is speaking His truth through you or to you. Let us have an attitude of repentance. Let us have an attitude of prayer. And as John says, or excuse me, Jesus sharing His parable in Luke 18, He spoke the parable to them and and the reason for it was that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So as we look at this passage and as we struggle through this passage, let the confidence and the assurance of knowing Christ, let it encourage us to be very specific, to understand that promise, to understand the advantage of God who hears. And let us be very directional. Let us pray for the lost. And let us be very discerning for those who turn and curse God. Let us be wise in those things. Let me pray for us this morning.